because it's really the same handout as last week, except I did some revisions to it. So we'll do this while everybody's getting in and seated and while I'm getting stuff prepared. Uh, hey, Tim, the other rest of those that I have are right there. If you can make sure Andy gets one and that'll replace the one you got last week. If, if you got one last week, that replaces it. Some of you didn't get one last week, but uh, regardless, still replaces it. <laughs> anyway. Revelation chapter 1, last week for the most, you read most of the uh, chapter together, We're, I'm going to forego that for right now, uh, we, we, uh, we'll read some, some verses here in just a bit, but uh, let's go ahead and we'll have a word of prayer to get started uh, this morning and then we'll jump back in here, alright, so Father this morning as we uh, gathered here and uh, we open your word, we pray that you'd help us this morning as we uh, begin again looking at this uh, special book in your word, the book of Revelation, and uh, Lord, a lot of, uh, really a lot of special, unique things about it, uh, and um, we just pray that, again, most of all, you help us to see the Lord Jesus and be drawn to Him, to be closer to Him, to love Him as we ought, and we pray that you would help us to be faithful to you as we ought, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, title of your handout is the same title, Special Blessing to a Very, or Special Beginning to a Very Special Book. This is a special book, of course, the book of Revelation. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of ideas and, and thoughts that come to their minds, I guess, when they think of, of the book of Revelation. Obviously, it is about future things, a lot of future things in the book of Revelation, uh, but if you had to say what it's all about in one precise thing, it would be, as the very first words state, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about revealing, unveiling, making manifest Jesus Christ. Now, in, an, in a, another special way, uh, that idea is it's, it's also talking about and preparing for an event that's coming that could be called the revealing, the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he leaves heaven, comes back to this earth, and he's going to be revealed here on this earth for who he really is, for all that he is. And that's going to be quite a, quite a day. And the book of Revelation, in a way, is, is really kind of all about pointing toward that event and uh, everything leading up to it and the things that that will 
bring to pass and ensure and, and so on as well. But it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we looked at most of the things on the handout, this, this introductory lesson. We looked at most of that last week, except for the last part. That's what I want to focus on today. We'll get there just momentarily. But uh, Revelation, as you begin reading, we read really this lesson deals with the first three verses and then verse 19 as well of chapter 1. And there are a lot of special uh, special things that are brought out right at the very beginning here in the book of Revelation. You see, and, and just following the outline that's there, you see the special, um, let me get to these slides here, it's special dec- disclosure, all right, uh, what it's about, it's about an individual, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it's special delivery here. It's interesting, the, the order that's specified as to how... The, this revelation was given, all right? God gave it to Jesus Christ, all right, to, for him to show to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent signify, and signified it by his angel or messenger unto his servant John. John writes the things, in fact, as we'll see here in just a little bit, the Lord Jesus tells John specifically to write the things that he saw, all right? Uh, in verse 1, he says he, he writes the things that he saw, uh, in, in verse 2, rather. Uh, but then Jesus tells him to write specific things, and these are all things that he, he sees, that he is shown in, in special ways. All right? And we'll, we'll get to verse 19 here shortly. But uh, this is, this, again, it's, it's different. There's, there's just everything about this is different than most of, of the books of, of the Bible as far as uh, the specifics that are here. All right? You see it's special destination. And of course, it's in a general sense given in verse 1 for the Lord to show His servants things which must shortly come to pass. Uh, but also then specifically, John is told that this is for the Lord's churches. Notice verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. All right, down then in verse 11 uh, this is Jesus speaking to John here, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. Notice again, what you see, write in a book, uh, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia. And then he specifies those seven. We'll leave that uh, for, for sake of time and everything this morning. We'll get to that, those specifics later, but you see that special destination, all right? The Lord's churches. You see it's uh, determination, <coughs> excuse me, uh, here as well. And uh, really, it's given to show things that are going to happen and uh, things that the Lord wants His people to know, to prepare them and so on. But there's, there's a, a constant and consistent theme throughout the book of Revelation as well. In fact, you see it again just from verse 1 where it says, uh, to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. There's this sense of, when you read the book of Revelation, all right, well, let me back up for just a second. In, in a way, okay, at least in a sense, when you read the entire New Testament, you could say there's a sense of, of imminency, urgency. But when you get to the book of Revelation, that is like just the, the, the pedals to the metal, so to speak, with that theme. I mean, it is just nothing but... It's, it's, it's 
everything that's, that John is conveying is conveyed in a sense of earnestness and urgency. In other words, this is real, people, and, you know, people need to be ready. You need to listen up as, and, and just... These are things, you'll see this phrase, again, it's consistent throughout Revelation, things that are going to shortly come to pass. Or, you know, and Jesus says at the end, surely I come quickly. I mean, it, there's an urgency that's, uh, that's being uh, conveyed uh, through this. And so the Revelation is written to the churches to instruct them and warn them of their present needs uh, and I'm behind on that already. Uh, their present needs, the shortness of time, the events that lie ahead, and of course, to, to warn them. Now, interestingly enough, uh, many of the events that are, that are spoken of in the book of Revelation, the Lord's churches are not going to be here on the earth to experience those things. But again, uh, it's, it's to prepare them. So part of that is, you know, it's our responsibility to warn the world, Right. Uh, but but also that we're prepared, all right? And, uh, of course, it instructs and warns them of the glorified Savior whom they will face in glory. The Lord's churches and, and, and Christians today, we will face a glorified Lord Jesus one day. And we're going to give an account to Him of things. And you see that kind of urgency for the Lord's peoples really conveyed in the letters to the churches. All right, so, I mean, again, this is just, there's, there's this, this theme of urgency throughout the book here. And uh, uh, the book is making known things, and, and it employs uh, signs and, and, and so on, of course. Uh, but it's, it's, it's uh, to be taken literally. We'll speak more about that again here in just a bit. All right, notice it's special disciple. Of course, the, the writer, the human writer, John the Apostle, won't get back into all of that, but uh, I, I didn't stop on this last week, and I just wanted to mention this you know, kind of in, in quickly before we, we move on. But you remember there in, it's, it's in, it's in your, the notes in your handout there, it would be on page four down toward the bottom, the number three there under several biblical considerations for the Apostle John as being the penman. All right. You remember there in that scene at the Sea of Galilee after the Lord's resurrection, sometime after his resurrection, before he ascended uh, permanently to heaven there, that um, uh, the disciples, some of the, some of, uh, the disciples went fishing and so on. Then the next morning he meets them there on the, on the, on the shore. And, <coughs> excuse me, and, uh, of course, that's where he confronts Peter uh, and, and, and so on, and I believe restores Peter and so on. But um, uh, he makes some statements to Peter, and he even makes a statement to Peter about his coming death, Peter's death, and how he would, you know, he would be led against his will and so on. Um, but then Peter, just out of the blue, it seems, asks him, well, what about this guy, and, and of course it's pointing to, to John, the, the writer of John's gospel, and, and Jesus just says, you know, what, basically, what is it to you if I will that he tarries till I come? I mean, and that's kind of all he said about it, and then, you know, and basically just mind, you know, don't worry about him, you know, <laughs> we're talking about you right now, that kind of an idea, and uh but it's interesting how then John inserts there that it was a common thing from that day on that 
the, the, the disciples said, you know, John's not going to die. John's not going to die. He's, you know, he's going to see the second coming, this kind of thing. And, and then John inserts there that that's not what Jesus said, you know, but that was, a, that was that. But interestingly enough, okay, in all of that, this is the man that the Lord Jesus shows all of these things to. And so in a way, in a way, he didn't die before seeing the Lord's coming, right? Uh, he, he saw it in a, in a foretold way here in, as he's writing, as the Lord uses him to write this wonderful book of Revelation. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. We didn't stop on that at all last week. But notice again, just the it's special delight there, the uh, verse 3. Unlike any other book of the Bible that I know of, the book of Revelation, excuse me, pronounces a special blessing on those that pay attention to it. I mean, what other book of the Bible do you know that makes that kind of statement? Obviously, all the Bible is a blessing, and, and, and we're told to, you know, uh, to, to meditate in all of it and so on, but the book of Revelation makes that interestingly enough statement that Blessed, and again, the way it's worded, it, it, I, I believe it's also conveying that it's to be a subject in the Lord's churches, right? The one that reads and those that hear and keep the words therein. So, uh, but, but a special blessing nonetheless there, all right? And then uh, we also mentioned, you know, seven blessings are pronounced in the book of Revelation. That's one of them. I'm not going to talk about those right now. Um, I want to move on to the last part there, verse 19. It's special development, all right? So go ahead and turn to, if you, my Bible, I have to turn the page to get to verse 19. You might not have to, but verse 19 of chapter 1, that's kind of going to be the subject of what we, uh, what I want to look at here this morning for the most part. And before we get into that, let me just, uh, I was going to print out this other paper as a handout for you, but um, I just decided not to. But anyway, when it comes to the book of Revelation, all right, and, and reading, understanding the book of Revelation, in the world of Christianity, okay, I just put it that way, uh, there's four main approaches, I guess you could say, that people have to schools of thought, whatever you want to say, to uh, understanding the book of Revelation. All right, and these are listed this way. I didn't make these lists up, of course, but uh, the first one is an allegorical or just a spiritualized approach. And basically, I mean, it's amazing to me that, that people even approach things this way, but I guess shouldn't be surprised. But basically, just th that position views pretty much everything in the book of Revelation as just not real. I mean, it's just, it's just, everything is some spiritual representation of something else. It's not literal, okay? Um, and again, the, the interesting thing to me of that is, okay, where, you know, what are the parameters of that? Where does that leave you? That pretty much means you can just make up anything you want and say that's what that is and whatever. I mean, you know, uh, and, and by the way, most of the people that would take that approach, they don't necessarily take that approach to the rest of the Bible, all right? But for some reason, they change their whole school of looking at things in the Bible when it comes to the book of Revelation, 
All right. But then the second is what's called the historical approach. Now, that might sound good to begin with, but basically what that, what that view is, they look at the things in the book of Revelation as history, that it's already happened. All right. And again, to have that view, in reality, you have to allegorize or spiritualize a lot of things because there are things that Revelation writes about that obviously could not have happened yet. I mean, the world's still here, as it, as it has been, right? I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of things. Again, so it, it really makes no sense to have that. There's another one that's called the, the preterist view or the preterist approach, and basically that is a kind of a mix of various things, but it's basically a historical idea that they, they believe that the things in Revelation has already happened and uh, it happened in history, but... Uh, all of those other things that uh, are talked about that are hard to understand and explain in that way, they were just they're just they're just spiritual battles that took place in the in the early days of, of the churches. Again, that's kind of a weird view in my opinion. And the fourth is what my position is, and I would I would trust that it's probably most everybody else's here, if not everybody's, but that's a futuristic approach. Basically, taking it just like you do the rest of the Word of God, all right? That uh, are there things in Revelation that have already happened? Yes. We'll talk about that here momentarily. Uh, but for the most part, the things written in the book of Revelation are future yet. They were future from the time they were written, but they're future yet, all right? So why do we say that? Well, if you look at verse 19 here in Revelation 1, let me pause and get a sip of water. Notice up to this point, okay, we, we read through verse 11 last week. We didn't talk about all those verses, but if you remember there at verse um, uh, 9, John is saying, you know, he's, he's on the Isle of Patmos, right? And he says in verse 10, he heard, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet saying, all right, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the churches, all right? And then verse 12, he says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. I always think that's an interesting way of saying things, all right? He turned to see the voice. Uh, but, I mean, and I look at this, okay, and, and we're going to talk more about these verses in another lesson, but I, I full well believe John knew exactly who was speaking when he heard the voice, all right? He's turning, though, to see that one. Because think of this, John, this is probably the mid-90s, not like people refer to the 90s today, you know, the 1990s, but the mid-90s, the first century, the 90s, 95, 96 A.D., um, when this happened and John was used to write the book of Revelation, all right? But he's an old man by now. In fact, as far as we know, by that time in history, he's the last of the apostles living. Not just of the original 12 apostles, but even Paul, who was later, you know, after them, an apostle. Paul's already been killed, uh, probably in the mid-60s. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking like 30-some years after the rest of the apostles have been on the earth, and uh, 40 years, well, no, uh, blah, 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 30, so almost 60 years since the Lord Jesus was here on the earth. I mean, so think about this, okay? John, this apostle who's left, the only apostle left, and he's, he was 
arguably closer to the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry than any other man. I'm not saying he was, but I said arguably closer, okay? Um, and, and I think he had a longing to see the Lord, all right? But he, he, he turns to see the voice that spake with him. It says in verse 12, And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now, I'm just going to stop that reading for there. He then, this, this, the way that he sees the Lord Jesus is recorded for us, okay? And again, we're going to get to that in a future lesson here. But um, i got to point what I'm trying to make here, all right? So I'm going to just, just jump down now at verse 17, all right? He sees the Lord Jesus. You've just, he's just written. He's been used of the Lord to write this description, all right, which we'll see in a second. He says in verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now think about who we're talking about. This is... John the Apostle, and uh, I mean, he's lived his life for the Lord Jesus. History, or things in, in outside of the Bible writings tell us that uh, Domitian, the Roman Empire, emperor, and you know, it may not have been him personally, but others under his, his uh, authority, they had tried to execute John several times. And finally, he's banished on this isle, this island in the Aegean Sea, Patmos, and just kind of left there. Now, Domitian dies in AD 96, and then John is actually released from the island uh, with, with a change of authority and so on. And then again, history things tell us that he went back to the city of Ephesus, where then he lived out the rest of his life there. Um, but... This is a man who, again, I mean, when you think of who this is, that's just what I'm trying to get to. And, and what was his reaction when seeing the Lord Jesus? I mean, you hear all these songs and different things. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run up to Jesus and give him a hug and all this. I, you know. And, and hopefully that's just expressing the heart that people, you know, they love the Lord, okay, and that kind of thing. But what I'm saying is... I don't think any of that's reality. I mean, when we see Jesus, I mean, this is going to be an awesome sight and a fearful sight. And John fell at his feet as, I mean, basically as if he's dead. I mean, he just, that's, that's the effect it had on John, okay? But then Jesus tells him to get up. I'm, I, I got to, again, most of that's going to be on another lesson. But Jesus tells him not to fear and, and basically, you know, kind of get up, and, and, and then he tells him in verse 19, write, this is Jesus speaking to John, write the things which thou hast seen. Now stop for a second here, all right? If, John, if Jesus is telling John to write what he has seen, what would that be? Basically, just that, that vision. I mean, we have the introductory words of, of Revelation here, but, but he says, write what you've seen. So he's to write and convey this vision, all right? Because that's all he's seen up to this point, right? That's what I'm getting at. Up to this point, that's all he's been shown, all right? 
Then he's told to write the things which shall be, excuse me, let me catch up right here too, this might help. All right, he's told to write the things which he had seen. All right, so from that vantage point, that's what's in the past in, in the book of Revelation, which is basically the vision that, that he just saw, this, this glorified Lord Jesus. And Jesus, by the way, is portrayed really as a judge here. I mean, you see it talks about his eyes as a flame of fire. It says that there's a sword going out of his mouth. I mean, this is a... He sees Jesus as the holy, righteous judge of the universe and judge of his churches. All right? He says, write what you've seen, write the things which thou hast seen. And, and of course, again, from that point in, in Revelation, it's up to verse 19. So what he had seen. Um, too many clicks. Then he tells him to write the things which are, and literally the idea is the things that are present, the things that are now, which you might be thinking, when you read that, you think, okay, what is that? Well, in the scope of Revelation, that is the next couple chapters, all right? Immediately after this, think about this, what does, what's written in the book of Revelation? Jesus basically dictates seven letters to John to these churches. And he's to write these things which are, all right? So the present things, the things that are dealing with the Lord's churches. Right now we live in what I like to refer to as the New Testament church age, the age of the churches, all right? And that's what is being dealt with here, all right? So in, in the next two chapters, immediately, that's the subject. All right, the, the things that pertain to the churches. And again, there's, there's a lot of interesting questions. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of these when we get to chapter 2, but why did the Lord pick these seven churches? I can't necessarily tell you that other than, I mean, obviously he did. He knew what he's doing, and he always knows what he's doing, and he, he did for a reason. All right, and when you look at the things that are written, obviously there were needs in these churches that are being addressed. And these were seven literal churches that most likely John, the apostle, was personally familiar with. And the Lord's using him as the last apostle, if you want to say, to convey this serious message from the Lord himself to these churches. Now, it's also intended for all churches, and again, we'll see more about that when we get to those letters, all right, but when he says, write the things that are, he's talking about presently in that day, the churches, all right? And so, again, immediately after getting those instructions from the Lord, what does he do? Well, he writes, about, he writes these letters to the churches, basically just being dictated by the Lord Jesus to him here, all right? So then notice the, the third statement in verse 19. I don't know how many clicks I got to make to get here. All right, you see the third uh, area or the third point being made by the Lord Jesus. He says, write, not just what you just saw, write the things that are now, but he says, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now think about that just, just for in plain language, all right? That means things that haven't happened yet, things that 
are going to happen after some time here, right? The after things, if you want to say. Future things, all right? So the things which shall be hereafter. These, these things were future from the perspective of when John wrote that, right, in AD 96. And again, we believe that these are still future from our vantage point in the year 2023, some 2,000 years after that, all right? And so, uh, future, that's why, when I mentioned those four approaches, that's, that's why we fit into that fourth category. We take a futuristic view of interpreting, understanding the book of Revelation. Because for the most part, again, there's some things that are history in it, yes, and those are clear to see. But for the most part, the things that are written about in the book of Revelation are future, yet, okay? And in fact, as you, as you look at this, all right, he's, he's told to write the things which shall be hereafter, which again, in the book of Revelation are basically chapters 4 through 22, all right? From John's perspective, the past was what he had seen up to that point, the vision of the Lord Jesus. Then the things which are, the present things, are the things that then Jesus shows him to write to the churches, all right? The present. But he said, I'm also going to show you, and you're supposed to write the things that I show you about the future. All right? That's chapters 4 through 22. Now, get to here. So thinking of these future things, this is what, we only got a little bit of time left, but if, if, if I, I think, anyway, this definitely helped me in the past, and I, I, I think that if we can understand this idea here, this helps in thinking about and understanding the book of Revelation, all right? So again, notice carefully the wording there in verse 19, but also turn over to chapter 4, verse 1, and look at that, all right? So what's verse 19, that's what we're just talking about, all right? In between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 4, what do you have? Chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, okay? And again, keep in mind the statement there in verse 19. Jesus said, write what you just saw, write the things that are, and write the things which shall be, excuse me, hereafter. Notice verse 1 of chapter 4. After this I looked, after these letters to the churches, after this I looked, behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. All right, notice the wording, that last phrase there, all right, uh, of verse 1 of chapter 4. John's told to come up hither. Now, he was in a, in a, in a, whether it was bodily, whatever, but in a way, John was drawn up to heaven and he was going to be shown things that were going to happen. Okay? And, but notice the wording. That's what I'm trying to point out. All right, the wording of those two verses. Verse 19, the phrase there is, he was to write what? The things which shall be hereafter. In verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1, he said, come up hither and I'm going to show you the things which must be hereafter. I mean, 
both in, in Greek and English, there's only one word difference, and, and in their respective context, that difference makes sense, okay? Um, but the things that are going to be hereafter, all right? So when you think of what Jesus is telling John in chapter 1, verse 19, what he's to write, it makes sense. What he, he's to write what he saw, Obviously, at that point, the only thing he was shown up to that point was what? The vision in chapter 1, all right? Then he's to write the things which are, and then he's given seven letters to these churches, the present time. Those were churches that literally existed while John was living, all right? And they, you know, present time. And then he said, write the things which shall be hereafter. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, He's told, come up here, and I'm going to show you those things which must be hereafter. The only difference is, all right, in verse 19 of chapter 1, it's written from a standpoint of these are things that are about to happen. In chapter 4, verse 1, these are things that must happen, that are necessary to happen. That's the idea. But it's the future things, okay? Again, if, if... I don't want to beat a dead horse, so to speak, but if, if you get this concept, it makes the book of Revelation make sense, okay? John is called up to heaven in chapter 4 to be shown the things that are going to happen here on the earth. Now, he's shown some things in heaven as well, all right? But the future things, that's what he's going to be shown. And he's already been instructed that what he has shown, he's to do what? He's to write it down, okay? Jesus already gave him those instructions. So now he's going to be shown these things from chapter 4 and following. So really, everything that's written in chapter 4 and following, fitting to that outline there, those are things that have yet to happen, all right? We, We still live in the time of the churches, all right? So, in verse uh, chapter 4 through 22 in Revelation, these are the future things, all right? Uh, and really, there's two, I mentioned this last week, there's two timelines, kind of, if you want to say, that, are, that can be followed through the book of Revelation. And because John is shown, in fact, first in chapter 4, he's shown some things that are happening, or will happen, in heaven. It's not till chapter 6 that he's shown things that are happening, and can I say it this way, basically simultaneously while things are happening, okay, while things are happening in heaven, there's things happening down here on the earth, okay? But this is written literature. How do you, can, how do you show both things at the same time? Well, I kind of liken it this way. You remember reading in the Old Testament the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings? All right? First King, particularly chapter 11 or so in 1 Kings and following, but you have, you have two kingdoms being tracked, right? You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. How are, how are we shown those things? Well, something's written about one kingdom for a while. And then it goes back and says, well, now in the southern kingdom, you know, it doesn't say the southern kingdom, but you know what I'm saying. In Judah, this is happening. In Israel, this is happening, all right? And it goes back and forth, 
in a way, okay, chapters 4 through 22 in Revelation are very similar to that. Right? There's things that were shown that are happening in heaven, but yet then we're taking it back and show these are the things happening on earth. Right? And for the most part, most of the content in those chapters is describing what's happening here on earth. Right? Chapters 4 and 5, and then pretty much uh, a little glimpse in, in 7, 14, and so on, but mostly not until chapter 19 do we, are we taken back to heaven and shown things that are, still, are happening in heaven. All right, um, but for the most part, it's the things on the earth. So if if you keep those things in mind as you think about uh, Revelation, it I think it helps it fit together and make more sense. Um, I'm trying to get to something here. Again, I mentioned chapter four and five basically are showing us things in heaven. When we see the things on earth, okay, in heaven, in chapter 5, in chapter 5 in heaven, uh, in that scene in heaven, of course, it's centered around the throne of God, things that are taking place around the throne of God. But in chapter 5, I forget the exact verse, it states that the one on the throne, which is God, is holding a book, holding a seven-sealed book. Now, When it says book, okay, it's not a book bound like we think of it today, okay? It's literally a scroll, all right? Not like a, two covers and pages in between a book, but it's more, a, it's a scroll, all right? Because at that, in the first century, that was still the normal way of their books, okay? But, um, but it says seven sealed. You understand what a seal on a scroll or whatever it was, all right? It, you know, when the scroll was rolled up, it could be sealed for security purposes, authority purposes, and so on. Oftentimes, wax would be used and there would be a, an imprint in the, made in that wax so that the person receiving that, if that seal was intact, they could be assured nobody had opened who wasn't supposed to, didn't have the authority or whatever, didn't, you know, didn't open the, the letter, the book, whatever, okay? Um, this particular book is said to have seven seals. I mean, again, the number you'll see, we'll talk about this later, the number seven is very prominent in the book of Revelation, very significant, okay? But seven seals on it, right? And the scene in heaven is, okay... The one on the throne's holding this book, and then somebody asks the question, who's worthy to take the book and to open the seals? All right? So in other words, who has, who, who has the right and the authority to do that? And then John says, nobody. Nobody could be found you know, worthy to open the book until then John's reminded by one of the 24 elders that are there, the Lamb's worthy, all right? The Lamb is at the right hand of the throne, all right? The Lamb is obviously the Lord Jesus. So then it says the Lamb took the book. And then in chapter 6, and then after he takes the book, then there's great praise that breaks out again in heaven. That's where that thou art worthy and that, that great uh, chorus of praise there in heaven, all right? But then chapter 6 is 
one by one, the lamb opening the seals of that book. And that's the events of the tribulation time unfolding here on the earth, right? So really, it, 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 the book of Revelation follows the opening of those seven seals, right? The seventh seal, when that opens, all right, ends up being another series of judgments. The seventh seal is the beginning of the trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation. And then when you you get through those six, all right, the seventh trumpet then is the opening of a whole other set of judgments, the vial, or some people call it a bowl, but basically a a container uh, that you would think would hold liquid. And, And the idea is they represent the wrath of God that's being poured out on the earth. Right? But that's the flow of the events in the book of Revelation that are happening here on the earth. Right? Now, throughout chapters 6 through, uh, let's just say 19, because that's when Jesus returns to earth in chapter 19, throughout those chapters there are some pauses where we're then introduced to some character or figure or or maybe multiple ones, but, uh, and, and the point of those many times is, okay, again, it's, it's, I, I, I liken it to that first Kings, second Kings thing, all right, you know, where there's descriptions of things happening in different places and coming together, okay, but you'll have these pauses where we're introduced to somebody or something who has been taking, you know, who has been involved in what's going on, okay, and so those are, those are just normal pauses in the flow of it, the, the unfolding of the events, all right? But, uh, but they're just introducing us to necessary characters and so on in that. For instance, okay, in chapter 7, which is right close there, just the unfolding of, or the opening of these seals, all right? You we're introduced to 144,000 people, all right? Special Special peoples. We'll talk about that more uh, when we get there. But basically, again, it's just stopping, pausing, introducing us to these people that have a part in something that's going on. All right, that's, that's, that's the idea. You see that quite often, especially in chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and so on in the book of Revelation. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all those things uh, when we get there. But again, I think it's extremely important that we we get that concept of understanding, okay, the, the, the whole flow of the book of Revelation is seen there in chapter 1, verse 19, where Jesus told John, okay, this is what you're to write. You're write what you just saw. You're going to write these things to the churches, the, the present things, but then I'm going to show you things that are about to happen, and you're going to write those, right? But they're in that order as well. And so... Uh, again, I, th- I think it helps everything make a lot more sense and be a lot more understandable in the book of Revelation when we, when we understand that picture. There was something I was going to show you, it's kinda, and I don't really have time so much right now. Um, there's, there's a book that I have, that I've had it for a long time, but called Dispensational Truth by Clarence Larkin. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that book, but this this... Man, he's, he draws 
pictures, okay? And he's got, uh, that chart is here. It's a lot easier to see here probably than there. It's very involved, as you can see, okay? But uh, uh, anyway, um, I was hoping it could get really big, but I didn't, anyway, didn't know how to do it, so. Um, but in a way, he, I mean, there's several things being tracked here, but the flow of the book of Revelation, all right, you have the, that's supposed to be the scroll, and these are the seven seals being opened, all right, at the sixth seal, it's, it's trumpets judgment, and then at the seventh trumpet, it's, it's the vials are being poured out and so on. But that's the, the flow of the book of Revelation. This is a very much more simplistic view, and I still have some mistakes in this because I couldn't take some things out because I borrowed this from another presentation that I had on something else. Um, but the time in which we live, all right, is still in Revelation 2 and 3. Chapter 4, John is shown the future things. And what's shown in the book of Revelation is the seven years of tribulation here on the earth, Christ's second coming to earth, the thousand-year reign uh, on, on this earth by Christ, all right, which really is his fulfillment of all his promises to the nation of Israel and everything, the millennial reign of Christ, and then things that we would say there's judgments and, and renewing and beginning of eternity after that. All right. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of things, but uh, but that's a much more simplistic view, not as fancy or nice to look at, maybe, but of of uh, what's in the in the book of Revelation, and we'll probably show you that more later on. But let's go ahead and we'll uh, close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you have given us your word and given us the book of Revelation. Help us uh, to, as you say, to um, Pay heed to it, and I pray that you'd, it would cause us to be right with you, to love you, to serve you as we ought. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.